invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Our text today is verse 37 to 41. We're continuing our series on Acts empowered by the Holy Spirit with the message of Pentecost, how to be forgiven. What are your greatest needs in life? In the human experience, we have a lot in common with one another. Human needs are a major area of study in psychology. You might remember from school the old Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, In it, he sets forth uh, five levels that every human being progresses through, including physiological needs, safety and security, love and belonging, self-esteem and then what he calls self-actualization now it's important to note that maslow was an atheist and he didn't see religious experience as valid unless it was within a particular framework and he also developed humanistic psychology however i think he was on to something even if he didn't realize it as we think about how god has provided for us and what our greatest needs are we can answer that question from the Bible. Let's think back to the Garden of Eden and what God provided there for his creation. He provided for their physiological needs, for their safety and security, for their love and belonging, and also for them to find purpose and meaning. But sin broke the relationship between God and his creation. Sin separates us from God. So the only way for us to be right with God is for us to be forgiven and to be redeemed. So while we have many needs, I believe our greatest ultimate need is to be forgiven. It's to be in right standing with the God who created us for a relationship with him. Now we're considering Acts chapter 2 in several parts. We looked at the miracle of Pentecost in verses 1 through 13. Then the message of Pentecost, prophecy fulfilled in verses 14 to 21. The message of Pentecost, focusing on Jesus of Nazareth in verses 22 to 36. And now the message of Pentecost, how to be forgiven. Now begin reading in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. And this is what the word of God says. When they heard this, this being the message about Jesus... They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 40. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. The context is that Peter was preaching to a crowd that was largely comprised of Jews who had gathered in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost which, of course, is 50 days after the Passover. Now, during this 50-day period, Jesus was crucified, risen, and he appeared to his disciples, 
to many others and he gave instructions to his disciples and then he ascended back into heaven Peter then finishes his presentation of Jesus in this passage after he's recounted those things and there were undoubtedly some of the same people in the crowd who had yelled crucify him not very long before so how could it be that now their hearts were softened to the point that they're willing to ask the question what should we do what do we do in response to this message at least some of them were pierced to the heart the idea of being pierced to the heart is the work of the holy spirit cut to the heart is a way of describing the holy spirit's conviction that comes upon us and it literally means to strike or to cut violently so they were stunned by what they had heard they heard that they were responsible for the death of jesus just as we are and they were moved to the point that they asked what should we do well the answer to that is found in this passage from peter's message first of all we should consider the good news from god now when you look at the story of acts acts is a story of god's grace in jesus from the beginning to the end nothing is more central to the message than the spread of the gospel the spread of the gospel the good news about what jesus has done for us and there are some consistent themes that are presented in acts that are consistent with god's grace and those themes include god's sovereignty over all things peter makes it clear that this is the sovereign god over all of creation time and eternity there's the theme of the life death and resurrection and exaltation of jesus as lord and messiah that comes up again and again people are confronted with the reality of their sin and of their need for god there's a call to repentance toward god and then there is a call to obedience symbolized by baptism in response to the good news that has come from god so this word uh, gospel means good news and it's derived from the whole idea of the story concerning god in what jesus has accomplished and jesus promised that the gospel would spread geographically if you read acts chapter 1 and verse 8 he tells us what's going to happen well what's interesting is you can take that same template and that same storyline and it follows the spread of the gospel even in the book of acts the word for preach the gospel occurs more times in this book than any other book in the new testament in fact about a third of the book of acts consists of speeches or sermons that were mostly by peter or paul proclaiming the gospel and the gospel breaks through geographic barriers there's no place that the gospel cannot go the gospel breaks through ethnic barriers it overcomes cultural differences that we might have as human beings it overcomes socioeconomic barriers the gospel is for all and in the book of romans paul established our spiritual predicament and our need for the gospel in fact the passage in romans chapter 3 reminds us of our spiritual condition so lest we be tempted to say i don't have a need for the gospel or forgiveness is not my greatest need then we go to the scripture to find out what our actual condition is and he writes this in romans 3 and verse 11 and following none is righteous no not one 
No one understands and no one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now these quotations that Paul shares in Romans are from both the Psalms and Isaiah. Paul's saying, listen, this is the human condition. This is the predicament. This is the need. And this is why we can come to this passage today and understand that we all have the same need. And that need is to be forgiven before God. Warren Wiersbe said this passage is an x-ray study of the lost sinner from head to foot. And there's never been a completely righteous person on their own apart from Jesus. We might fool ourselves and think that we seek after God on our own. People around the world go through the motions of worship and false worship. But it's all useless. Every part of the human body is guilty. Our words, our feet, our eyes, all are filled with sin and rebellion against God. And to make matters worse, Paul says that there is no fear of God. And our trust in the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead is the one who gives us hope in the midst of despair. And folks, we're living in a world that is, that is hopeless almost. There's so many people that are living in darkness, they don't feel like they have a purpose. They feel like they're isolated from other people. They don't see uh, what meaning could be in life. And we come to the gospel to find that meaning and to show people what the ultimate hope is, the best news of all. And it remains forever the best news imaginable. And it is for absolutely everybody and everything. It's not merely good news for the few. It's good news for the whole of creation and all who would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. So what I'm asking you to do today is the same thing that Peter was doing in presenting the message. And that is consider the good news from God. If it's good news and it's for everybody and we're all in the same predicament, then we need to consider how to respond to it. What should we do? We should repent of sin against God. That's the second thing we should do, is repent of sin against God. Notice what he says in verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you. So the first thing Peter tells them to do is to repent. They had thought a particular way about Jesus, uh, considering him worthy of crucifixion. Now they've heard the reality about who Jesus is. The Spirit of God has cut them to the heart, and they've been challenged to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's often said that repent is the first word of the gospel. John the Baptist proclaimed, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said in Luke 5 and verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So Jesus said, listen, if you think you don't have a need, I'm not going to be able to help you because you have to first understand you've got a need in order to accept the answer to your need, to accept the solution to your problem. And this idea of repentance means to turn around, 
And there's a couple of words in the Old Testament that would help us understand this. One indicates a turning around or a changing of the mind. The other is used in one form or the other 600 times in the Old Testament. And it's used uh, to translate the idea of returning or seeking or restoring. So an example of this in the scripture would be uh, the, the phrase that appears time and again, turn to the Lord with your whole heart. Same idea that we're talking about here. To repent is a change of mind which leads to a change of behavior. It was a word that was used in uh, the military sense to speak of an about face. So a soldier would be marching in one direction. He would have a, a determined direction that he's moving in. And then all of a sudden he does an about face and he goes in the entirely opposite direction. And it's the same word that we use here for the idea of repentance. Spiritually, it describes well what happens when you come to know Jesus. You have to have a, a spiritual about face, so to speak. Now, is it strange that Peter uses the word repent here instead of believe? Well, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Both are a part of salvation and are dependent on one another. So what happens is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you change your mind about your way of life and the direction that you're going in, and you put your faith in Jesus. Now, part of what complicates this a little bit is the salvation event has a lot of things happening simultaneously. And we like to think about everything being linear and neatly lined out, A, B, C, D, and so on. And to an extent, that's true. However, when we are convicted of our sins and we're cut to the heart, and we are considering what God has done and we're willing to repent and believe, then we're regenerated and we're made new creatures in Christ Jesus. And it's the supernatural work of God in our lives that brings that about. And there's so much that's taking place by the power of God in our lives that it defies simply uh, a, a simplified uh, a definition is what I'm trying to say. And I don't think it's odd at all that he uses the word repent here because repentance and faith go hand in hand. So genuine repentance comes from a heartfelt conviction about sin. You've got to be sorrowful about your offense against God. And you've got to be willing to turn from the sinful way of life and turn to Jesus as Savior. Now, just to illustrate this, there are some incredibly long bridges in the world. Uh, and they vary in length and, and design and everything else. But dating back all the way to the Roman and the Chinese times, overwater bridges have been used to connect far-flung communities from one another that would not otherwise be connected unless it's by boat. Today, these uh, bridges are a symbol of modern engineering and design as well as a showcase of the human ingenuity that's able to build them. And there's a bridge called the Hangzhou Bay Bridge that is notable for being the world's longest transoceanic bridge. Get this, it stretches 22.5 miles over the water and it connects Shanghai with Ningbo and it took them five years to build it, and it opened in 2008. Now, just as a disclaimer here, 
if we needed to build a 22.5 mile bridge over the water here, if our road construction is any measure at all, it would probably be a 25-year project, maybe, and they'd still be unfinished. It's like the, that's like the bridge to nowhere, you know, that's what it would be like. But it illustrates something very well. If you're on that 22.5-mile bridge and you are committed and you get out there in the middle of that thing, if you want to go back where you came from, you've got to turn around and go the opposite direction. There's no other option. Spiritually speaking, there is a great gulf that is fixed between us and God before we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. There's no way we can bridge the gap. There's no way we can get across. But what God has done is he has provided the bridge in his son. And when we repent, we accept the gospel message of who Jesus is and what he has done. And that gap between us and God is spanned through the finished work of Jesus. So when Peter said, repent and be baptized... Was he indicating that baptism is required for salvation? The belief that baptism is necessary for salvation is called baptismal regeneration. And the argument goes like this. You have to believe and be baptized in order to be saved. That's the teaching, baptismal regeneration. That is not a biblical doctrine. Peter preaches another sermon in Acts chapter 3... And he uh, commands repentance, but in it he does not mention baptism. We are saved, the Bible is clear, by grace through faith. It is not by grace through faith plus baptism. If it was plus baptism, then that would be a work. Baptism is symbolic, representing outwardly what's already happened in the inward transformation in your life. And Peter commanded it as the way to publicly identify your life with Jesus. Now further, the word translated as for, F-O-R, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, can also be accurately translated as because of or as a result of. So it's like a doctor telling you you got to take two tablets for your illness or because of your illness. Baptism is not a prerequisite for salvation. It is a response to salvation. And he says here that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is necessary is spiritual baptism. And spiritual baptism is what takes place when we come to faith in Christ. We are baptized by the Spirit of God. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We belong to Him. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13 says. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. That's a spiritual baptism. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Water baptism is a command for obedience, and it is an important step of obedience in the Christian life. It is an identification with the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The call here is to repent of sin against God. What should we do? The last part is to accept the message from God. Now, let's look at verse 39 to 41. 
The promise of the Holy Spirit was promised uh, to be given to those who believe in all succeeding generations. That's what he says here in verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. They saw the work of the Holy Spirit among the disciples. And the great promise here is whosoever will may call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter's sermon does not end here. And it says that he spoke many other words to them and strongly encouraged them, urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. I think Peter was simply being obedient to the Great Commission. Jesus had said that they were to make disciples. Make disciples is the imperative. And then they're to teach all that Jesus has commanded. That's what Peter's doing. And they're to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And those who accepted his message, it says here, were baptized. Now, this is further evidence of the role that baptism plays in our obedience but not as a requirement for our salvation. Because the wording is, those who accepted the message, that's faith. So Peter's saying, listen, you got to repent. After he tells them the message about Jesus, they believe the message about Jesus, they repent, they accept the message, that's faith, and then they're baptized. Now the problem is, a lot of people will acknowledge Jesus as a good man. In fact, There's a lot of discussion about the ethical teachings of Jesus and how Jesus taught these principles that we should live by. But many of the same people who believe that Jesus was a good man or an ethical teacher or even a prophet from God, they stop a step short and they don't uh, affirm the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh. That he came, he left heaven, he came to earth, he took on flesh. And even now, he exists as 100% God and 100% man, and eternally so. And to stop short and not understand his deity is to fail to understand the mission that he came on. That Jesus is God in the flesh. He was the active agent in creation. Without him, nothing was made that was made. He is the sovereign Lord over all. He is the Savior of the world. And he came to this earth to die in our place now what does it mean to accept the message from god well imagine somebody came to your door and i know this is amazing that anybody would come to your door in this day and age but they just just pretend that they come to your door you probably see them on the ring cam before they ever actually even get there but at any rate let's say they make it to the door and they actually ring the doorbell or they actually knock on the door like old school just knock on the door to see if anybody's home Now, your first response might be, you don't really want to be bothered. You don't know if you really want to answer or not. You're in your pajamas. You don't know if you want to deal with it or not. But then when you peek out the curtain, you see that they're holding gifts. They brought you something really nice. Or maybe just because it's the holiday season, they brought you a nice warm loaf of bread or some type of cake that they made for you. And they're there because they love you and they want to give you this gift. What's the only right response to that person coming to your door and offering you that gift? It's to open the door and accept the gift, to receive it. And it's the same with salvation. You've got to open the door of faith, and you've got to accept the gift. 
And to accept the gift means to receive the gift of salvation through faith, to be justified by faith. It means to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that means that our salvation cannot be taken from us. God's not going to come and take the gift back. Otherwise, that would cease to be grace. It would cease to be a gift. When he gives it, it's a permanent gift. And we eagerly accept it because there is an urgency to it. And we are born again into God's family. Now, I want you to note something phenomenal that happens here because in the course of just hours, really, the New Testament church in its infant form grew from 120 to 3,000 plus. This was not the last great movement of God because he added to the church daily. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. God is still adding to his church daily. We are some 2,000 years past this and daily even today there will be people all around the world by the hundreds and even the thousands who will be willing to repent of their sin and accept the message and enter into God's family by faith and God is building his family and he's going to continue to build his family of people from every tribe tongue and nation until Jesus returns and it is a blessing to see how the gospel goes forth and God accomplishes his purposes through it. When Peter and John healed the beggar, there were some 5,000 men besides women at that point who would come to follow Jesus. Even many of the priests would believe. Now, in the early New Testament church, people were baptized soon after accepting Jesus. Now, baptism is not required for salvation, but I do believe that it should be as soon after conversion as reasonable. We ask a practical question here. Where were 3,000 people baptized? Water is scarce in that part of the world. And I believe that they were baptized in ritual immersion pools called mikvahs, which is the singular form of it, that were originally used for ritual cleaning. So, for example, a man who wanted to become Jewish had to undergo two main requirements, circumcision and then a water purification in the mikvah. A woman would only have to be immersed in the mikvah. And converts would go down into the water. They would leave their pagan ways. They would symbolically die to the old way of life, and they would be raised into newness, cleansing. It was forbidden to come into the presence of God in the temple without passing through a mikvah, through one of these ritual baths. And there were other reasons under the law for this type of cleansing for the Jews, but it was essentially a symbol for a spiritual cleansing. Now, you'll be interested to note that archaeology has revealed many of these mikvahs, and not just in the area of the temple, but in different places around Israel. But you know where there's a large concentration of these things? Right by the southern steps of the temple where Peter preached. Archaeology continues to uncover them. And if you were to go there today with us, someday in the future when it's possible for us to do that again, and you were to stand there on the southern steps of the temple where Peter would have preached that message, 
you can see those mikvahs right in front of you so mass baptism would have been no problem at all with water in those ritual cleansing uh, places that they would have used for believers baptism there is an urgency in accepting the gospel message and that's why the bible says that today is the day of salvation we don't know how long we're going to live we don't know what our next prognosis is going to be we don't know what's going to happen to us ultimately all we know is that we need to be ready we need to be prepared i read a fascinating story about an older uh, swedish gentleman who was in his driveway shoveling snow in the swedish city of charlatan and he suffered a, a sudden cardiac arrest now they tell me that if you have a sudden cardiac arrest you might have 10 minutes uh, for somebody to help you in the situation uh, or you got big problems and a lot of times it takes longer than that even for the ambulance to arrive so as a result of that the survival rate for cardiac arrest can be quite low well there was a telephone call that was immediately placed when this man collapsed requesting emergency services and he lived in an area get this where they had partnered with this company called Everdrone. The Everdrone company is an innovative life-saving program. And what Everdrones do is they deliver an automated external defibrillator, an AED, to the scene within minutes. Now, it was also apparently not this man's time to go uh, because at the same time that somebody's calling for this drone to come, there's a doctor who happens to be driving by to help him and the doctor applies what they sent with the drone and after initial treatment the ambulance arrived and the patient was rushed to the hospital and they said this is a truly revolutionary technology that needs to be implemented all over and the man said if it wasn't for the drone i probably wouldn't be here now i want to make a spiritual parallel here because there, there is an urgency to the gospel and we have an opportunity to consider the message to repent and to accept the message as long as we're on this side of eternity as long as we're breathing as long as we're alive we have that opportunity the gospel is for you and it's for you today to respond to but there's an urgency to it because of the uncertainties and as great of an emergency as a health crisis is a spiritual crisis is much more urgent and i say to you accept the message from god don't delay don't wait if you are not a christian today you can be if you will consider the message repent of your sins and accept the good news about Jesus. In fact, that's how you're forgiven. If you want to be forgiven, if you want to get right with God, you got to consider the good news, repent of your sin, and accept the message from God. Let's bow our heads together just for a moment as we come toward a close of the message and the service. How has God spoken to your heart today? If you are a Christian, you got a lot to be thankful for. Would you take just a moment and thank God that he pierced your heart, that he convicted you of your sin and showed you your need for Jesus? Would you thank God that you can follow Jesus and be a part of his eternal family?
we got a lot to be grateful for and salvation is the greatest gift of all but there's some of you here today who've never received it there's no way in a group this size that everybody is a follower of Jesus but that could change today your life could change forever if you'd be willing to turn to Jesus and accept him as your Savior and Lord. He's inviting you. What are you waiting on?